as we jump in, I've got, uh, I've just got five pages of notes, so it ought to go quickly. All right, yeah, we've got to catch up from the last couple, three weeks, and so uh, uh, we've just got it stacked upon us. But I'm glad you're here this morning. Would you join me in a word of prayer? Father God, I thank you, Lord, for these men. I thank you for bringing us here this morning. Father, teach us what it means to be builders. Uh, Lord, people who see uh, and build for others, and Lord, men who, who most importantly build for you. Uh, Lord, we love you and we thank you for the opportunity to hear your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, uh, as we jump in today, I'll be, I'll be talking about God builds with sons and the importance of understanding the difference between sonship and slavery because some of us grew up in denominations and churches that uh, you felt more like a slave than you did a son. And there's a difference. There's a big difference because sons have inheritances. Slaves simply work for wages. And, and the wages of sin are what? Death. And, and that's, that's the danger is that if we grew up with a slave mentality, then we grew up thinking that, um, you know, if I do wrong and don't repent, then what happens is uh, I'm condemned. And I don't know if you grew up that way, but I actually grew up with, with a huge conscience. I mean, a conscience that told me uh, if I sinned and I did not repent of that sin, then, and it wasn't that I necessarily heard it from the pulpit taught in that specific way. It's that when it came across to me, or how it came across to me, was that way. That if I did not repent for that specific sin, if I said a bad word, guess what? I was condemned to go to hell. If I didn't say my prayers at night before I went to bed, um, then I was condemned. And, and so I was always trying to work my way out. I, I, I never felt like I was in. And I don't know if that's ever been you. Um, it's not that Jesus wasn't enough. I think I understood atonement um, from the time I was very young. I knew that I needed Jesus. I, I, I knew the importance of Jesus, but I still struggled with sonship. And I, it's over the past handful of years, really, the past 10, 12 years, a book out there that, that helped me really understand this was one written by Steve McVeigh. It's called uh, Beyond an Angry God. And that's a great book, by the way, if you like to read. That's, that's a book that'll, that'll rock your, your foundation in a lot of ways. And it teaches on the grace of God and the importance of the grace of God. But um, today I want to talk to you not just about the grace of God, but that we are to approach the throne of grace with confidence in Jesus Christ because we are sons and we don't live in a slave mentality. You know, it's hard to build when you're a slave. You only build what you're told to build. But it's easy to build when you're a son because you have the freedom to think and imagine because you have an inheritance. And that's another difference. But we'll get through all of that. Uh, I started here with a quote from John D. Rockefeller. Um, he said, I had no ambition to make a fortune. Mere money-making has never been my goal. I had an ab ambition to build. If you don't know who he was, he was an old tycoon back in the 19th uh, century, well, on into the 20th century and uh, just, just really got accused of cornering the market there, making millions upon millions. And, uh, of course, most of you probably know who, who Rockefeller was. And, and it's interesting to me that he never set out to make money. He set out to build. He was a builder because in each one of us, by the way, he wound up being a philosopher and wound up, uh, he was very deeply rooted in his Christian faith. Uh, a lot of people don't know that about him. Uh, has a lot of great quotes out there um, that, are, that are worth reading. But anyway, as we go, as we look at some of this, I want you to know that in, innately placed within each one of us is the opportunity and the will to build. Probably when you were young, you liked to play with Legos. We didn't have Legos. We had, we had these little wooden things that were cut out. Lincoln logs, that's right. 
we had the Lincoln Logs when I was a kid. Uh, we, I, we weren't really into Legos, but man, I could make about any house out of those Lincoln Logs that you wanted. I even made catapults, you know, to knock the houses down, and we'd have wars with Lincoln Logs, and uh, my mom hated to hear that box poured out in the living room. But innately, in each one of us, we, God places in us to, uh, uh, an opportunity, a will, if you, if you would call it that, to build. In the Song of Ascents of Solomon, he says, Unless the Lord builds a house, they that labor, labor in vain. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman keeps awake in vain. In other words, that God is a builder and we are created in His image, and we too should want to labor and build alongside and with Him. So it's a kingdom concept that God is a builder. Um, as we grow a household, then as we grow up in the households, we should grow up as sons. And success is learning to build what God wants, learning how to lay down an eternal footprint. So, God builds with son. The mark of the immature man is that he wants to die nobly for a cause, while the mark of a mature man is that he wants to live humbly for one. Any of you know where that's from? Man, that's a great quote. I'll say it again. The mark of the immature man is that he wants to die nobly for a cause. Now, that sounds like you'd be pretty mature if you want to die nobly for a great cause. But notice how he finishes this. While the mark of a mature man is that he wants to live humbly for one. That's from Catcher in the Rye, by the way. All right, Hebrews 3. Let's get to some scripture. Hebrews 3, 3. For he has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses by just so much as the builder of the house has more honor than the house. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all, in all his house as a servant. That word servant there in the Greek can also mean slave, which is very important. For a testimony of those things which were to be spoken later. But Christ, verse 6, but Christ was faithful as a son over his house, whose house we are if we hold fast our confidence and the boast of our hope firm until the end. And of course the boast of our hope is in him. So every house has a builder. Moses built as a slave. Jesus built as a son. Galatians 3.26 For you all are sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. So there it is. Through our faith in Christ that makes us sons of the living God. And we are called to be mature sons. All right, And we may not comprehend our destiny yet because we may be simply building. We may have just laid the foundation, but hang in there and keep building. So let's talk about the difference between a king's son and a slave son. A king's son and a slave son. They both would play together in Jesus' day and time. They, they, even prior to Jesus, um, they would play together. A lot of times the slaves in the house, the slaves in the, in the castles, if you will, um, they, would raise, they would raise their kids alongside right, of the king's kids, the king's children. Up until the, about the age of six, from about six to eight, they started splitting them off. Then they would be separated, and for the king's son, the king's sons would begin to learn about their inheritance. The slave's son, they would begin to learn about being a slave, and there's a, there's a big difference there. So let's talk about the difference between a slave and a servant. See, to live as a slave or under the law, if you will means that it takes performance for acceptance. We must do to become. And many of you grew up that way. And you know, I'm, 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 uh, I have to meet with a counselor now a couple times a week. I mean, this is just my life right now with my daughter and, 
and uh, we do a FaceTime. It's actually called Zoom, and and we're yesterday at one o'clock down in my office. This is this is my wife drove up, and we're sitting there for an hour with this counselor. One of the things I'm learning is I am so strong-headed and so forward-thinking, and uh, that sometimes the drill sergeant shows up, and I just expect boom, 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 and then let's go. That's just that's just kind of how I I was raised in some ways, and it's just kind of a innate trait inside of me, which I'm having to work on, right? But what happens is it creates pressure, <laughs> creates pressure on others around me. Not even if I say anything or don't say anything, just because, you know, we're doing to become. I want to get in my daddy's acceptance. I need to sweep the garage and, and do it in an excellent way, right? And so, so things like that. Um, sometimes when you live as a slave, you're stressed to perform because your awards are based upon your performance. So if you live as a slave... It means this, you're stressed to perform, and in our culture today, right, the cream rises to the top. That's just kind of the way it is, so we've all kind of been stressed to perform. You become either proud when we think we do well, and then when, we, when the king says, hey, uh, you know what, you didn't do well, how does that make you feel? It makes you feel condemned, right? And in turn, what happens is we become people pleasers. We're more concerned about what people think than we are about what God thinks. And where you can see this today is in the church culture. Churches are, are changing every day and, and in some ways should, right? We've got to match the culture. We, we, we've got to be able to minister to the culture that we serve. But in doing so, it doesn't mean we change the Word of God. It, it means we may have to change the application to some degree. And, and so... Uh, what we're seeing, though, you know, just one mainline denomination here a couple of weeks ago took a major vote on whether or not they're going to ordain uh, gay clergy or whether or not they're going to allow uh, gay marriage and the clergy to perform gay marriage and all of those, those types of things. And there's a whirlwind of things where uh, if we're not careful, what happens is we're becoming people pleasers instead of God pleasers. And we have to pay attention to that. Um, self-perception of God, that he is a judgmental God when you live as a slave, that he is a judgmental God, and he is ready to punish. I used to think of him as a, as a God with a stick. When I knew I sinned as a kid, it, it, it was interesting how my thoughts went, because my thoughts would go, okay, I sinned, uh, even though I repented and said, Lord, I'm sorry, I still expected to be punished for what I did. And I would actually look for the punishment. And so if I happen to get a, a swat that afternoon from my dad or a spanking, I would think, okay, well, uh, I deserve that. Um, that's God's wrath being poured out on me, you know. Or if the three-wheeler wouldn't start, okay. Or if the three-wheeler kickstart came back up and hit me in the shin, that was God's way of punishing me. You know, if you've never had that happen, you need to go and experience that. So, um, and, and we perceive that Satan wins while we're on this earth. So a slave will say, you know what, Satan's already won while we're on this earth. So we have a day of deliverance coming, but the day has not come. And when you live as a slave, that's kind of how you'll perceive these types of thoughts. Now, the neat thing about being sons of God instead of slaves of God is this, that that we receive a new birth in Christ. You remember Nicodemus and the story of Nicodemus when uh, Jesus and Nicodemus are speaking. Now Nicodemus is, he's a liaison between the Roman go government 
and between uh, the Hebrew people. And his goal, what they wanted him to do, he would receive a nice paycheck if he would keep the Hebrews calm, if he would keep them in order, if he took care of all the insurrectionists so the Romans didn't have to, if he would report fairly and commonly to the Romans. Then, then that was his job. And so Nicodemus was, was a very prominent man among the Hebrews. I just want you to know this. He approaches Jesus at night and, and he comes at night because he knows that Jesus, there's something different about Jesus. As a matter of fact, he calls him rabbi, if you remember the story. And I just kind of got to blow through this story so that you can kind of see this. And they get into a conversation, and eventually Jesus says, unless a man be born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. And Nicodemus says, well, how can a man be born again? Can he not enter his mother's womb a second time? And, and when he finishes that conversation, Jesus goes on to explain what born again is. Now, if we are born unto God, then what does that do? That makes us sons of God. So what he's talking about is, I'm about to take you from a slave identity over here to a sonship, which is so important that we see what Jesus is talking about. So, sons, they uphold the family's name. They represent the family name well. They no longer do to become, but they do because it's who they are. It is this innate trait. Now, I'm born of God. God is a builder. And so I'm not just thinking about myself. I'm thinking about how and where can I build with God. They are no longer seeking acceptance because they have confidence as a child of God. Isn't it fun to watch children who have just a ton of confidence? I mean, sometimes we call them spooled brats, right? And sometimes they are. But it's, it's nice to see children grow up and just have a confidence. I, I, I enjoy this, and I'll share this about Wade. I kind of had to get on to him about it, but he was telling me last night, he said, well, you know, Dad, I'm going to be first chair in the Amarillo Symphony next year. And I said, what? How do you figure this? And he said, well, because I'm the best one there now, and I'm third chair and the other two will graduate, and that'll make me first chair. <laughs> I said, I appreciate your com confidence, young man. Now let's see if we can humble ourselves before the throne of God, right? So, um, <clears throat> but it's fun to see children grow up and have confidence, right, in who they are because they know who their father is. They are no longer attempting to make the team. They understand they are the team. They are productive, proactive, and ready to be faithful. Right? It's no longer out of obligation, but it's from the Spirit's indwelling. They are moved by faith and not by obligation. See, uh, uh, a slave will be moved by obligation. A son will be moved by faith. This is what I do because this is who I am. Right? And the other thing, a thing uh, that a son will do, a son will protect the territory because it's his inheritance. You see, a slave, they may or may not. A slave may be bought off. Uh, a slave may say, you know what, I just clocked off, the hour is over, it's 5 o'clock, all right? A slave is going to say it all pays the same. A son is going to say, no, this is my inheritance. This is what I gain because this is who I am. This is what my family has stood for from generation to generation. So they understand the inheritance is great and it comes with a great responsibility. They steward this well with their lives and they too add to the building of their family. That's what a son does. They will add to it, right? Uh, if you're a slave, you, you really don't care because, what, it all pays the same. If you ever had an employee who shows up at 8 and goes home at 5, and what they get done from 8 to 5 is what they get done. 
Why? Because they have no, it, it, it doesn't matter to them. This, this is just, I need the paycheck. I do this just to receive the paycheck. Have you ever had those who have come in and simply said this, uh, man, I'll stay till the job's done. I'm going to grow this part of my division. This is going to be mine. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take ownership of this. All right. Now, if you have employees here with you, don't be pointing fingers. Okay. I'm just saying, using an example, right? But buy-in is everything. Romans 8, 14. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. So all who are led by the Spirit of God, right, because the Spirit identifies, He's our identifier to our God. And as He identifies who we are as sons, and He is as God, and He is the liaison between, He gives us our next steps. That takes us back to Galatians chapter 4. Because you are sons of God, this is verse 6, because you are sons of God, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. So now we can pray, our Father who art in heaven. We talked about the importance of that, right, about uh, four or five weeks ago when we broke down that prayer. Just, just even for the Hebrews to say, our Father, they had a hard time even calling him by any type of name, whatever that name may be. They usually called him by his characteristic, El Shaddai, or something such as that. All right, so Mark chapter 3, 13 through 15. Now this is Jesus and the team, the 12, right? And he went up on the mountain and summoned those whom he himself wanted. And they came to him. And he appointed 12 so that they would be with him and that he could send them out to preach and to have authority to cast out demons. So these are the 12. And, and let me say something about the 12. As the 12 started walking with Jesus, they walked with him how long? Three years. That's a short time. Three years. I mean, that's, that's uh, amazing how they, how they saw and knew that he was Lord and willing to give their lives for him. Now, even though they did walk with Jesus, I want you to know that they also were selfishly ambitious. And oftentimes sons are what? Selfishly ambitious, right? Um, you remember Peter jumps up and cuts one of the, the men's ears off with the swords, right? They're very spontaneous, they vied for position. They were not perfect. This is what I'm trying to, trying to show you. They wanted to call, at one time, they wanted to call fire down on the people. They wanted to just burn them up. They didn't always have faith. Uh, Jesus scolds them for that and says, hey, you, get, you have little faith. I mean, come on, you guys got to know this, right? They were even called Satan by Jesus himself. And Peter specifically, get thee behind me, what? Satan. So they were not perfect, but I want you to see they saw themselves as sons. They did. Acts chapter 4 verse 13 recognized the deposit that Jesus made on their lives in those short three years. Now as they observed the confidence of Peter and John and understood that they were uneducated and untrained men, yet they were amazed and began to recognize them as having been with Jesus, right? They knew who they were. Every significant relationship in your life has your fingerprints all over it. Every significant relationship in your life has your fingerprints all over it and the fingerprints of your character begins to show up and your children and those who are closest around you and those impressions on another person's life are true indications of what your character is really like and that's that's what I'm having to to learn right now right those impressions on another person's life are true indications of what your character is really like it's interesting even our wives sometimes Allison will say a phrase and I know where that phrase came from 
<laughs> Who do you think it came from? came from me. And then I'm sitting there going, I don't know if I agree with that. <laughs> Jeez, I don't, I don't know if that's right or not, babe. <laughs> the, other, the other night in our devotional, we were sitting there with the kids, and Hadley goes, Daddy, she said, so in the, in, in, uh, the Garden of Eden, when the, the, uh, uh, Adam and Eve sinned, she said, is that the greatest sin that ever happened? And, and I sat there for a minute, and I said, you know, babe, I don't think we're so, that we need to, to think about the depths of the sin. I think we ought to talk about the depths of forgiveness. And Allison was like, oh, that is so good. I'm going to write that down. I said, hang on, I hadn't even thought about that one yet. Just wait a minute. And I don't think Hadley understood a thing that I just said, by the way, right? That's just daddy talking. But it's interesting because those who are closest to us have our fingerprints all over them. Now, with our children and with those who are closest around, we ought to invite them in to help build as sons and daughters of the kingdom of God. So, characteristics of sons who build. Let, Let me just give you some characteristics. Now, I'm going to blow through these. Because we've got to move quickly, and you've got some, some good questions in front of you this morning. But uh, I, I kind of want to go through, and there's, there's a handful of these. I just kept writing when I started putting these down. So, so stay with me. All right, Proverbs 29, 18. They have an overriding sense of purpose. Sometimes this gets us in trouble. If you have an overriding sense of purpose in your life, uh, you can blow through people trying to obtain what you feel like the purpose of God is in your life. And you're looking at somebody who's done that. Okay, and I I understand that. I'm getting a greater understanding of that every day. I don't like this journey right now. But it is an overriding sense of purpose. You don't have to wake me up in the mornings. You you will never show up at my house and wake me up. One, my dogs will bark and they'll get me up before you come in. Okay, but but it's it's just, it would be a rare thing. For that to happen. So they have an overriding sense of purpose. Uh, Proverbs 29, 18, where there is no vision, the people are unrestrained, but happy is he who keeps the law. And, and when he's talking about the law here, of course, this is prior to Christ. But this is the good law. These are the Ten Commandments. These are, uh, these are what uh, help motivate us to build alongside of God. So ask yourself a question. What gets you up in the morning? Alarm clock? I mean, sometimes I get it. I mean, there have been times that, yeah, I'm not saying that I can't sleep in. I can, sometimes till 6, 6.30. But um, there, there, are, there are things, right, uh, that should get us up because God is a builder and he's calling us as men to get up and go build. The second thing is they focus on the goals of ministry. Jesus said, I've come to do whose will? His Father. Now, he says Father purposely. I do nothing except for what I see my father doing. And one of the reasons he's doing that is he's making an indication that, look, this is a relationship, and you guys are called to be sons. So they focus on the goals of ministry. How is this going to be kingdom today? The third thing, they have great energy and catalyze others. You ever known that person that jumps on the team and just changes the whole, uh, the whole demeanor of the team? Uh, just watch Duke. What's his name, Willis? We all know Zion. Maybe you don't. You may not watch. Okay, you may not watch any basketball, but they just happen to win the ACC tournament going in as the number one seed. Uh, You know, to the tournament, uh, geez. ACC put three number ones in, by the way. Anyhow, 
Overrated. So, but without Zion Williamson, what do you have? Nothing. <laughs> we learned that, didn't we, when he blew his Nike shoe out. Now, <clears throat> here's the thing. They have great energy and they catalyze others. Sons have great energy and they catalyze others. They're catalytic by nature. All right, there are people here that will simply not let you lose. You ever had somebody like that on your team? That, that regardless of who it is, they're not going to let you lose. They're going to pick you up. They're going to lift you up. They're going to encourage you. They're going to call the champion out in you. Those are, are who we're called to be one for another, right? And we keep good faith in doing that. When we're there for one another, when we learn to catalyze one another, when we quit, when we have the ability to say, hey, quit trying to make the team and understand you are. Now let's move on and get to building what you're supposed to build in your life. Focus on your gifts, your talents, and those types of things, and let's build it. They can clearly articulate the vision. You know, uh, builders have to, have to know one thing. They, they, they well, have to know several, but they've got to be able to read the blueprints. They have to be able to see the schematics. They have to know that, hey, we may have to change this. Interesting, I, I told our transition team Sunday afternoon, I said, you know, guys, um, when the building was built at Wolforth, just prior to me getting there, about two years before I got there, uh, the architects sold all these plans and they built this building. Now, isn't it interesting? It was called a church, and the first funeral they had there, there wasn't a door one that they could fit the casket through. That's a problem, especially on the day of the funeral. It's a big problem. So, so why do I share that? Here's why. Because um, we should be able to articulate the vision. We should be able to see uh, what's before us. And we should be able to invite others into that vision. Right? Learn to clearly articulate the vision. The pastor's class yes, uh, Sunday afternoon, I was teaching on the importance why I go over this time and time and time and time and time and time again. Because you guys need to be able to articulate the vision of what the church is doing. That helps us all build together. The fifth thing, they understand the commitment and its cost. They understand the commitment. Sons will understand the commitment and the cost. You know why? Because they've seen what their fathers have been through to get them where they are. If you get an inheritance in your life, you know that your father did something in order to pass that along, right? They, can, they, they understand the commitment as cost. It's like the breakfast. The chicken made a contribution, but the pig was what? He was committed, right? Sixth thing, they have developed character and integrity. So character and integrity is what builds trust with others. Sometimes your character and your integrity will offer you the opportunity to talk to another son in the spirit and willingness of truth, right, to correct. And because of your character and your integrity, they're not going to... They're not going to sit here and argue with you. They're going to say, you know what, I can trust what this guy's saying even in my life, and sometimes that's uncomfortable. So if you can't be tested, you can't be trusted. The testing of our faith produces endurance. Know something that during this time that you, have, that you are developing character and integrity, there is a time where you will be tested. It's like sanctification. It, we talked about that in the sermon the week before last, but sanctification is that time when, when you better get ready because there are going to be some tests that come your way. And how you do through that test, right, is how much more of an inheritance you shall receive. Here's how I know that, because your faith will be, in, be increased. And the currency that moves God is the faith that you have. That's, that's how it works. So, 
What happened to living by principle? What happened to doing what you say? If the meeting starts at 8, it's not a bad thing to be there at 7.50, right? Listen up. If you want to be successful in creating organizations and venues that millennials would feel uh, uh, comfortable in, uh, the first thing you want to do is create a venue, right, that, that probably starts on time that helps them understand that. The second thing I would say is create an environment where they feel loved and where they can see your integrity and your character going before you. I think this is what's happened. We blame the millennials coming up. And then this, this next gen, uh, is it eyes? What is the next gen after millennials? There's a Z and then there's, there's uh, I can't remember what it's called now. Anyway, look, but we tend to put the blame on them. Here's the thing. They're looking at integrity and character and they've not seen that in our, in our political world in years. In years. And so, uh, we've got to pay attention to ourselves here. You know, most decision-making today is vetted through the filter of either emotion or political correctness. And guys, by the way, that's wrong. You'll never be a son if you can't speak the truth and stand on it. If you've got to be politically correct, you can throw it out. You're not a son of the kingdom. I never saw Jesus walking around the earth concerned about whether or not he was politically correct. Matter of fact, it hung him on a cross, right? So, um... The eighth thing I have here, uh, people are centric. They are people-centric, let me say it that way. Most today are self-centered, but we are called to be people. Had a pastor some years ago who told me, he said, Curtis, when you know, the church is really growing, it's growing fast. He was a young, young man at the time. He was about 26, 27 years old. He said, here's my problem. He said, I'll be talking to somebody, and then somebody over here is waving goodbye. So I leave this person. I go there. This person gets offended. And then this person says, I didn't even talk to him. And, da, 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 da. and I was able to just grab him by the shoulder and said, listen, <laughs> just get this. Ministry is no further than the person standing in front of you. Don't miss that person. All these others can wait. You're trying to run and bounce off this one, this one, and this one. Look at the one that's standing in front of you and deal with that. Right? Because we're people-centric. That's what we're called to be. Number nine, they are strong communicators, and they espouse the values of the organization. So it kind of goes back. It's, it's, it's kind of a repeat of what I was talking about, being able to articulate the vision. Right? Strong communicators, uh, they espouse the values of the organization. Our values, word of God, fruitfulness, maximizing potential, excellence, healthy relationships. Right? Those types of things here that we stand for. And in some ways, know this, your values are always going to be the cost of admission. So if you have an organization that you're, you're a business leader, you, you've got your values there are the cost of admission. And when someone starts, starts man, I just, I'm going to tell you something. This, this is very recent with me. Very close friend of mine bought into a business, wound up being CEO of the business, um, doing all these things. And what happened is his partner did not espouse the same values. And so what, what happened when, when they started to circumvent his values is their values started being associated with who? With him and the company. you got to cut that out. All right? Now, how do we do that in the body of Christ? We go and say, hey, that's not one of our values. That's, that's not what, how Jesus would have you. That's not walking as a son, right? They understand the, the team and the power of the team. Of course, Jesus did. Uh, I always say this. There are no lone rangers in the kingdom of God, right? These, these 12 that we talked about earlier, they turned the world upside down because they were a team. They were in communication. 
And that team just continued to grow. Number 11, they have passion and enthusiasm. This creates an environment where people's potential is maximized and the ministry's capacity is enlarged. Jesus said it this way. He said, zeal for thy house has what? Consumed me. He said, zeal for God's house because God's house is his inheritance, right? It's in many ways his bride. And so he has a zeal for that. So you ought to have zeal. You ought to have passion and enthusiasm. They use family language. This is ours. This is us. This is team. This is who we are. It's not who I am. This is who we are. Um, They're full of joy and they love their work. Um, this is what I love about having greeters at the door who just love to be greeters. We, we've had three or four now over the past few years that have come and said, look, um, I don't want to be a greeter every other Sunday. I want to be a greeter every Sunday, right? Uh, that's who I am. That's where I want to be. Put me at the doors. Man, that's, that's what you want, right? Um, inheritance and sons, in their inheritance, they do what needs to be done before they're told. Slaves of this world only do what they are told to do. Sons do it before they're told. They just see that there's a need to be done. They take ownership and they help solve problems. 16. That's, and if you're on 13, I get it. They are ambitious and aggressive, but understand their roles and place in ministry. In other words, amb- ambition and aggressiveness is great, but understand your role. Whatever that role is, work on your gift set. I don't know how many people, uh, when I was at Wolforth, we did specials during the offertory. And so our, our, our worship team leader was responsible for um, listening to those and, and um, hearing their heart behind it. I had several come to me and say, I want to do the special next Sunday, you know, for the offertory. Because we pass the plates there. We don't do that here. But they passed the place. It was, it was interesting because some of you can, can relate to this. So I'd say, okay, you need to go talk to the worship leader who was not Allison. All right. We, we, had, a, we had a real real cool team there, a really large stage, and they had an orchestra and a lot of things going on. Uh, I say orchestra. They had some of the strings and that, that type of thing. So I would send them to her, and it was really sad because she wouldn't take them through the funnel. <laughs> And so sometimes they'd get up there and sing, and guys, they could not sing. They had a lot of gift sets, but you can't put in what God left out. And you know how hard it is to tell somebody that? They, I mean, people are patting on the back. I, I can tell you three, four, ten times. They come off stage, and people clap, and, well, they get excited, and what do they want to do? Yeah, can you put me up there next week? I'll do another one. I got another song I worked up. One time I had a man, this is no joke, I know we need to get out of here, but one time I had a, a man who wanted me to learn a song on the guitar, and he was going to sing it. I asked his preacher, can he sing? It was at a cowboy church. Yeah, he sung a couple times, you know, Curtis, da 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 And he wanted to sing that Garth Brooks song, you know, a dream is like a river, ever changing as it flowed, and a dreamer is just a vessel, you know, that one, whatever the name of that song is. I will sell my vessel, I think, or something. So I learned, I worked for hours picking that on a guitar intro everything sat down never heard him sing we never rehearsed it together I lead in and this guy starts singing and guys I had to hide my head behind the guitar I was laughing so hard I've never laughed so hard through an offering in all my life he he got so into it he started kicking the, the cord the mic cord you know and looking at people out there and singing to them I just wanted to 
I just want to dig a hole, right, and climb in it. Say, cover me up. But anyway, look, don't try to put in what God left out, right? Just, just know your role, your place in ministry for the time. And it's not to say that one day you may not get that voice. You may not get that instrumentation. You might, you might if you have a desire for it, I'm not saying that God's not going to give that to you, but wait till he does. They learn to honor their authority. You know, I believe it's very important that all of us have authorities in our life. Um, authority helps keep the, the, the rough edges from forming. Um, they understand correction and discipline. The power of belief is going to become very important um, for all of us, that we believe that we work for our Heavenly Father and that we are sons, right? The Scripture is very clear. Do your work as unto who? The Lord. Do your work as unto your, your Heavenly Father, right? Regardless of what position and where you are today, and He will be responsible for giving you a great inheritance sons are full of faith all things are possible to us because we know and understand the power of believe, believing romans eight nineteen. i love this scripture and i'm gonna end with this for the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of god it says it this way in the new american standard version it says all creation is eagerly awaiting for the sons of God to be revealed. And that's you. And that's you. Not the slaves of God, but the sons of God. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you, Lord, for this message. And I just pray, Father, we'll all grow up and be mature sons for your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.